I'm Dr. Nathaniel Chin, and you're listening to Dementia Matters, a podcast about Alzheimer's disease. Dementia Matters is a production of the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Our goal is to educate listeners on the latest news in Alzheimer's disease research and caregiver strategies. Thanks for joining us. Today's guest on Dementia Matters is Dr. Kate Schuler, an assistant professor in the Division of Hematology, Medical Oncology, and Palliative Care. As a clinician, her primary focus is on palliative care for patients with life-limited diagnoses, including cancer, Alzheimer's disease, and other chronic conditions. Dr. Schuler, welcome to Dementia Matters. Thank you very much for having me. So let's start by having you explain to us what is the difference between palliative care and hospice? Well, I think I'll start by answering what is palliative care. So palliative care is specialized health care um, that is for people who have some sort of serious illness. So they're living with a serious illness diagnosis. And the care is really focused on how do we help somebody live as well as they can with the illness that they have. So we focus on relief from burdensome symptoms and stress of the illness as well. So we're really an extra layer of support while somebody is going through the course of their illness. So it's a pretty broad category. It is. So a lot of people would fit under the criteria for palliative care. That is the case, yes. So a lot of times people think of palliative care for patients with diagnoses such as cancer, heart failure, kidney disease, things like that, but certainly we also see the tremendous opportunity and need for patients who are living with dementia. Okay, well, so it seems like it'd be an incredibly helpful service I feel like in clinic, people often mistake palliative care for hospice, and they get very defensive when I start bringing up this conversation. Yes. So while they are very similar, there is some distinct differences between the two. So palliative care, the main key is that both both palliative care and hospice provide comfort-focused care, but palliative care is involved at the time of diagnosis for somebody with a serious illness, whereas hospice generally is more... Um, the the focus of care for patients who are nearing the end of life, so typically within the last six months of life. And as you describe it, it seems like palliative care and hospice are more of a consultative role, meaning they're not the the primary service or, or the primary care team, or is that incorrect? That is correct. Typically, um, Palliative care is, like I said, an extra layer of support. So we work alongside a patient's other providers. So they have a primary care doctor that is still extremely involved in their care, but palliative care is there to really kind of support the patient, the family, as they traverse this illness, um, trying to kind of fill in the gaps that may be there. And so how does one get referred to either palliative care or hospice? Um, So palliative care, actually, a lot of times patients will be referred by their primary care doctor. So their doctor will sort of acknowledge or recognize that there are some significant stress or burden that their patients are are going through, whether it be symptoms that are very challenging, um, sometimes pain being one of the more common ones, um, mood disorders is another example. So, or there's some other unmet needs, so significant spiritual distress, social distress, caregiver burden, things like that, that are identified by the primary care doctor. Um, And so they may reach out to palliative care to get a consult to have us involved in this patient's care. As well, sometimes patients come to us just because they've heard about it online or they know about it from somebody, a friend or a family member that has received it, they think that this type of care, this additional layer of support would be helpful for them as well. So they'll reach out to us that way. 
Now, there are certain criteria, though, for the hospice piece of this. That is correct, yes. So for hospice, it's a little bit different. So really, hospice is a Medicare benefit that requires two physicians saying that if this disease court disease entity kind of follows its usual course, that we would not be surprised if this person were to die within six months. So that is really a pretty big distinction between hospice and palliative care. Well, Annie mentioned it's a Medicare benefit, so this is not an additional expense that our patients would have to pay. That is true. That is true. And you actually also asked about um, who would become primary. So sometimes with hospice, um, most often, primary care doctors remain very involved throughout the hospice experience. Um, But there are also the hospice team does provide that extra layer of medical support, too. So you don't lose your doctor. You never lose your doctor. No. So in the world of dementia, then, how can a palliative care provider help someone? So I think um, palliative care, as we often have, as we have learned from other diseases, for instance, cancer and heart failure, the earlier palliative care can get involved, the better. So I think that is especially the case for patients with dementia, where we know that over time, their ability to participate in conversations, um, sort of understanding what their disease trajectory might be, their path, as well as trying to get a sense of what their hopes and wishes might be as they progress through their illness. So the earlier palliative care can get involved to start to initiate some of those conversations, those early conversations about sort of expected path and what patient wishes might be the better. And that makes sense to me. I feel like our population is increasingly more aware of what is cognitive impairment, dementia, and so forth. And as a result, they're coming in sooner. Mm-hmm. And once they have that diagnosis, I think most people understand that there are going to be declines over time. But what you're saying too, which fits this, is then getting those conversations in early while you are at, in your best shape really empowers you to, to drive your own care going forward. It does. It does. It not only does it empower you to drive your own care, but I also think it helps your family and caregivers sort of be aware of what that what your wishes would be under certain circumstances when down the road you may not be able to express them yourself. And so that really helps, I think, families um, and caregivers down the road when they're facing difficult decisions to know that they are acting as somebody's voice in a way that they had previously described. For family members who want to mention palliative care to their loved one, is there a certain approach that you would recommend? I would really try to describe it as something that can be offered at the same time as their current care that they're getting, and really just that extra layer of support. It doesn't change anything, but it really just helps having these earlier conversations upstream. So I think just sort of normalizing it and sort of identifying that this is a difficult illness that patient and the family are all kind of dealing with, and the earlier we can get more help on board, the better. There is actually a really great resource, the conversation guide. It's specifically geared towards patients and families with dementia and they they kind of it's a nice resource for for families to kind of, and patients to guide these earlier conversations. And they talk a little bit about um, what might happen in the future and how you might want to face certain questions. So I think it's really a good resource for people so that it's more specific to patients with dementia. Wow, I didn't know that existed. The conversation guide? The conversation. Is that free? It is free. It's online. It's available. You can look it up and it really just kind of helps lay the foundation for some really important early conversations. 
And, you know, I think a lot of times with palliative care early on, we're just, we just have these light touches with patients and families. And sort of as the disease progresses, sometimes we get more and more involved in care. And you mentioned something, too, that I think is important to clarify, which is that palliative care doesn't provide home health aids to go into your home, which I think is a common misconception. It helps with planning, Mm -hmm. and it may help with finding the right resources, but people aren't going to be getting more support directly in the home. That is very true, and thank you for clarifying that. And that is a distinction from hospice, which actually does allow or make, it does cover some of those in-home supports, but palliative care indeed does not. We're just mostly there for conversations, extra support, but not it's not like a package. Okay, but then, I, so if you could clarify then in hospice, so mm-hmm. you actually can get some in-home support with hospice. That is correct. So hospice is, as we mentioned, a Medicare benefit, and what they do provide is they provide not 24-hour a day support, seven days a week, but they do provide, um, they've got an interdisciplinary team. So we've got a social worker that's involved helping to connect families and patients with resources. We've got nurses that are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They can also do, they sometimes will do home visits frequently, often on a weekly basis. There are nursing aides as well that can come and assist with some tasks such as bathing, things like that. Not every day, but often several times a week. Okay, and that seems like a pretty incredible benefit. As far as home palliative care visits, does Mm -hmm. that exist? They do exist, and they look a little bit different wherever you go. So every different, every local culture is a slightly different way that that looks. So there are some organizations locally that will do these in-home consultations. They're just consultations only, and they'll make recommendations to the patient's primary care doctor, which can be very, very helpful. And that's probably the most common form of an in-home palliative care consult is just more of this sort of general discussion and maybe making some suggestions about medication changes, but not actually taking over and making those changes, rather communicating those directly with the primary care doctor. But then there are also palliative care clinics. That's true. And I'd say the bulk of palliative care is either received in the hospital setting. So a lot of times we get involved in more of an acute situation if patients have an infection or some sort of an injury. But yes, a lot of palliative care visits happen in the clinic setting. So then with your palliative care hat on, I'm wondering if you can provide some steps that families could take to plan for these services in the early or mid stages of dementia so that they feel prepared as well as the person with dementia. Yeah. So what should they prepare for? Well, I think sometimes I think how, what they should prepare for is just actually, you need to have a sit down and have a conversation about what sort of the expected path might be with so patients know what to expect as they progress with their illness so I think that's still in the earlier phase but I also think it's important to think about what are some of the potential sentinel events that might happen down the road so those sentinel events might include potential infections down the road or even if somebody were to fall and break a hip that would be a big moment a big potential change in somebody's health at that time so those are the sorts of things that we can start to you know think about in the earlier stages of dementia so that we've we've got an idea of how somebody would want their care approached down the road. So that's sort of in the earlier phases. Now, how can families navigate palliative care and hospice services in that late stage of dementia when this time frame for end of life really is ambiguous and unpredictable? It is. It is. And it's a difficult time because it is so unpredictable. I think um, one of the things that 
we can do in palliative care, I think, is is help facilitate timely referral to hospice so that we are hitting the mark at the right time for patients and families, getting them enrolled as soon as they are eligible. So I think that's one of the things that, that we can do to help families at that point. So that's yet another advantage, though, of being involved with palliative care even earlier and upstream in the disease is that really the experts in this will be watching closely and when that time comes, having the conversation. Exactly, exactly. I think we are able to combine our our expertise just by working with other patients and families facing these difficult situations along with our own personal expertise as we've gotten to know a patient and their family. We recognize these changes more because we have this close relationship with the patient and families. And palliative care and hospice also deals with symptom management mm-hmm. in a way that I think the that other providers and healthcare uh, experts really just don't have the, the training or the experience doing. And so I wonder in particular, you know, what kind of symptoms do you see or feel that the other providers like myself could improve upon? Well, I think one of the more common symptoms that tends to be under-recognized and, and therefore under-treated is pain. I think it is it can be difficult to um, know when somebody is experiencing pain when they're unable to tell us. So what pre- cues we used to use that we typically use for people are no longer an option. So we have to be much more in tune with things. So if we start to notice changes in behavior, changes in appetite, things like that, we need facial certain facial expressions. We need to be kind of tuned in a little bit more to that. There might be some pain. A lot of patients, obviously with dementia, have a lot of other health issues going on. So they often have arthritis. They have other conditions that can cause pain. So we need to kind of be thinking about that and realizing like, okay, um, we need to, hopefully we get to know a patient really well, we start to read their cues. There's this idea of having like a pain signature, that people have their unique way that families start to know when something's wrong. And so a lot of times that can clue us into perhaps there's some unmet pain needs. So as far as treating pain, that that's a whole nother, that's another step. You know, we, we usually do the same things we do with all patients, which is try to, try to optimize the um, non-medication ways, so sometimes massage, depending on the, where the pain is or what's going on, that can be very helpful. But ultimately, no, sometimes we may need to add some medications. We start with more typical over-the-counter medicines like Tylenol, perhaps ibuprofen. There's actually a lot of topical medications, gels and patches, that can be quite helpful for patients that, um, that I think we sometimes don't, don't think of right off the bat. Eventually, and there may be a time when that pain can best be managed by starting a stronger pain medicine. And sometimes people are reluctant to do that because they don't want to make confusion worse. But I think we know that um, sometimes confusion actually can be worse by when pain is out of control. So if we can sort of manage that pain, get it under better control, even if it means starting a stronger pain medicine, we may actually see some improvement for patients and not, not more confusion, but actually less and kind of going back more to the baseline. Which can be counterintuitive to a lot of us that are fearful of adding more medications to something. Indeed, yeah. But then on the flip side, you know, de-prescribing, this idea of removing medications Mm -hmm. is also really important. And a question that I get frequently in clinic is when is the appropriate time to stop the medications that I'm using for the dementia? And there are two in particular. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Great question. I think that a lot of times we look at um, deprescribing when the burdens of taking the medications seem to outweigh the potential benefits. So for some people, they do experience significant pill burden. 
And so the more we can we can kind of focus on what's most helpful. And what we know from the research is that some of these medications that are aimed at trying to slow the progression of dementia actually, once somebody reaches more of a, a more severe stage, they're no longer as helpful. So then it does make sense to just just to take away those medicines that are aimed at helping them feel better, that are not aimed at improving their quality of life when they're no longer effective. And then another, I guess I want to, I would like to end with my own personal experience with hospice was that it was this amazing service during the time of caring for a loved one, but there's also a great service after a loved one passes. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people know about that. And so if you could just share a little bit about some of the things that hospice and palliative care specialists offer in regards to a person passing and grief. Yeah. So we, um, from a palliative care perspective, we always reach out to patients or to families after their loved one has died, just offering our support, letting them know that we're here as well. But one of the beautiful things of the hospice benefit is that there is this one-year period after somebody's died where they will provide bereavement services to the families. And I think that's that's been a very... Um, very important piece of what hospice provides, especially for patients and families, patients with dementia and their families, because we know that the caregiver burden is so significant and different. It's different than for other disease entities. So I think that there's a lot more um, that gets processed in that year after somebody, after their loved one dies. And I think hospice is great at being able to provide that support. Well, Dr. Schuller, I'm so grateful for what you do and thank you for being here on Dementia Matters. Well, thank you very much for having me. Dementia Matters is brought to you by the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. The Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center combines academic, clinical, and research expertise from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and the Geriatric Research Education and Clinical Center of the William S. Middleton Memorial Veterans Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. It receives funding from private, university, state, and national sources, including a grant from the National Institutes of Health for Alzheimer's Disease Centers. This episode was produced by Rebecca Wazaleski and edited by Abishir Adin. Our musical jingle is Cases to Rest by Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website at adrc.wisc.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. If you have any questions or comments, email us at dementiamatters at medicine.wisc.edu. Thanks for listening.